We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville, partnered with 440 Sports and Broadway Sports Media. I'm Justin Graver. With me as always, Justin Mello and Justin. The Titans are two and two after two consecutive wins. Big road win over the division rival Indianapolis Colts. How you doing tonight? Doing well, man. Always feels good, right? We always say it to do one of these recap episodes after a win, a big win, as you said, two and two. Life in the National Football League comes at you pretty fast, right? Yeah. Like the sky's falling at zero and two, and I, I get it. You know, it's we've seen the numbers, the statistics of teams that make the playoffs when they're zero and two, but life's a lot better at two and two, as we know. And the Titans, you know, give them credit; it hasn't been pretty, but they've crawled out of that hole. They've gone from zero and two to two and two, and they're right back in this thing. Yeah, so the Titans get the much-needed win, but there's still a lot, I think, of concerns like from the fan base and from us who cover the team that the second-half offense is so stagnant. But we'll get into that in a second. Let's talk about some positive takeaways to start. Titans score on their opening drive for the fourth consecutive game. This one coming off of a short field after Bud Dupree recovered a fumble caused by Danico Autry around the 35-yard line or so of the Colts, and the Titans go right down the field and score a touchdown. The offense in the first half is absolutely humming. I mean, through all four games, it is. Actually, we have some stats here, courtesy of F-Words Pod. Zach tweeted this out um, earlier on Monday. In the first half, the Titans are first overall in expected points added per play. They're fourth in success rate per play at 53.3%. The running game is fourth overall EPA, third success rate. The passing game is second overall in EPA and fifth in success rate. And then, like I said, combined overall, they are the number one team expected points added per play in the entire NFL through four weeks in the first half. So the first half offense has been amazing. Yeah, I mean, this thing is kind of confusing, right? Like, I I didn't mean to get into this so quickly, but... To me, this is the top, like, the top story of the Titans season so far. That's why I wanted to dive right in with it. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty good point. Um, I got some numbers here I, I wanted to bring up as well. 16 first downs in the first half, three in the second half. By the way, that includes zero in the third quarter. Yeah, 28 net yards in the second half. Not just one quarter, the entire second half. How many net yards in the third quarter, you ask? Two. Two net yards in the third quarter, <laughs> zero first downs. That is bad, right? There's no way around it. And the way I look at this thing, look, you know me and, uh, you know, pe- people who, who know me well, you know, that, that we hang around with will probably laugh at this because uh, uh, my game day reactions are, are, are famous for swinging one way to the other. But after a game, I try to remain pretty level-headed, believe it or not. And I think when the offense is – when it's this much of a failure in the second half – I always lean towards somewhere in the middle. This is a collective failure, right? When things are this bad, I, I think it's personally crazy to blame one or two individuals. Like, I don't think Todd Downing is fully to blame here. I don't think Todd Downing's an amazing first half coach than an awful 
second right. half coach. I don't think Mike Vrabel's a terrific first half coach than a terrible second half coach. And I don't think the players are excellent first half players and bad second half players. This is a bit of a collective issue, right? It's and, and you almost wonder if it's in their head at this point, right? Like, yeah, I think, you know, don't get me wrong. I think Todd Downing can, can coach better in the second half. I think Mike Rabel can probably coach better in the second half. He's got a reputation for becoming quite conservative, right? Especially when they have a lead like they have over these last two weeks. And I don't think it's coincidence that we've sort of seen similar outcomes, right? When they've jumped out to first uh, to big first half leads and then they almost fumble it away in the second half. And, and I certainly think part of it has to go uh, on the players as well when it comes to executing, right? It, it's still up to them to execute at the end of the day. There's not a lot of answers when Derrick Henry's popping off these runs in the first half and then all of a sudden you know the same thing's not happening in the second half right we've seen defenses kind of come down and and shut shut down the Titans offense in the second half and especially the running game so to me this is a collective failure right now what's interesting is like you, you try to analyze like what's different like what's so different about the second half compared to the first half I think that first down stat is huge it's to me, it's more about execution than anything. Like if the Titans pick up a first down, then they get some momentum going. They can pick up another first down. And that's part of that ties into what I'm about to say. But Ryan Tannehill had six pass attempts in the second half compared to 15 in the first half. Overall, a really low volume passing game for the Titans. He only had 21 attempts, but he was 17 for 21 with two touchdowns. He did take three sacks, scrambled a couple of times, but the pass protection has not been great. And when the Titans have a lead, it feels like they want to go in this kind of uh, shell where they shell, get, like you yeah. said, conservative and they, you know, they just want to bleed the clock and rely on their defense, which they've been able to do for the past two weeks. It didn't work in week one, week two, everything, things just got completely out of hand. And I, that was kind of a different game, but it was sort of similar in the fact that the offense in the first half was vastly better than the offense in the second half. But even then, you know, that game was, was never really in reach for the Titans once the second half got rolling, but it's been a pattern in all four games, even with the blowout of week two. So where do they go from here? Is this something they can fix? Is this something that they just have to execute better in the second half? Derrick Henry in fourth quarters this year has 13 carries for 17 yards total in four wow. games in the fourth quarter. Now that's two of those games. You're trying to run out clock near the right. end. It doesn't make any, and Derrick Henry's notoriously, notoriously been a guy who gets better as the game goes along. And then by the fourth quarter is bruising, running through people. Now, what I will say on that front in terms of improvement in this game is that the Titans got the ball back with a chance to ice it with under two minutes to go, and they did. 158 remaining on the clock. They hand it to Henry three straight, uh, no, two two straight times, sorry. And um, on the third, third and four from their own 47-yard line, they run a little play action. Tannehill throws it outside to Aquanco, and they pick up the first down, and they seal the game. Aquanco gets down inbounds, so the clock continues to run. Indy called their third timeout, but it didn't matter by that point. The Titans were able to ice the game away. So that is an improvement because the previous week against the Raiders, the Raiders obviously got the ball back with a chance to come down and score and tie the game, and they did score, and they just didn't convert the two-point conversion. So that, to me, is at least improvement, but we need to see a lot more improvement to feel good about them going forward because it's, I feel like we've all had the same kind of reaction where when the game ends the last two weeks, nobody's like, woo, Titans won a game. Great, great game, Titans. Everyone's like, woo, sigh of relief. They didn't blow that one, right? No, you're absolutely right. You kind of felt like you effing morons. Yeah, glad you didn't blow it, right? I mean, it always <laughs> feels really good to beat the Indianapolis Colts, right? I think there's no denying that. But you're right. There has been that caveat there. Two quick things I'll add about Todd Downing. Um, 
I tweeted about it. How about that third down play call to trigger Quan quote that you brought up there? How's that for creativity, right? Everyone wants to get on Twitter and complain about Todd Downing. And I love that play call, right? That play action to Chig. Colts didn't see it coming. I think just about everyone thinks Derrick Henry's getting the ball. So the Colts got to take their final timeout. No, the Titans step off that conservative label and they went for the jugular, right? We're going to pass the ball. We're going to get this first down. We're going to end the game right now. That's exactly what they did. Last point I'll say about Downing, and I don't want to spend time going back to last week, but just because we talked about this conservativeness a lot, um, you go back and revisit the Raiders game, the second half of that game. I actually don't find the offense was that conservative in that game. I just right. thought they didn't execute very well. Exactly. I think that's what the, it comes down to. And we've had this argument as Titans fans going back to Mike Malarkey era. Is it the play call? Is it the execution? Play call versus execution is like always a, a running debate. But in this instance, you know, and I think in every instance, it's a little bit of both. But maybe we can talk a little bit um, about some other aspects of this game. Derek Henry had his best game of the season. The final numbers were very promising. He finished with 22 carries for 114 yards and a nice 19-yard touchdown where he bounced it outside and got the corner and raced to the end zone. And it's really cool because in the replay, you can see Ryan Tannehill throw his hands up, signaling touchdown. Like, as soon as Henry bounces it outside, still, like, 18 yards from the end zone, but like it was clear he's going all the way. He also added three catches on five targets for 33 yards, which has been a huge positive of the last two games. In the last two games, Henry has eight catches for over 80 yards, um, 91 yards actually. And that's after he had zero catches in the first two games on just one target, 11 targets the last two weeks combined for 91 yards, averaging over 11 yards per catch. So getting him involved in the passing game, letting him get loose in the running game. The the Colts D we heard it from Zach Hicks last week. They are a stout run defense and uh, have been for, you know, a, a couple of years and they have been this season, but they couldn't hold Derrick Henry. They stopped him for a couple of negative gains, a, a negative four yard run. But outside of those plays, it felt like Henry was able to get big, you know, chunks whenever the Titans needed him to, at least in the first half. And that's how they were able to build such a big lead. Um, so really nice to see Derrick Henry looking like himself. And I think that any concerns about the foot injury lingering or him being a washed older running back with too much wear and tear kind of have to be tossed out the window after what we've seen these last two games. I thought Derrick Henry looked outstanding. I thought he looked outstanding. Now you go over these, these two past games against the Colts and the Raiders, 290 yards from scrimmage uh, and two touchdowns. I thought he looked so good in this game against the Colts. Like, I've still seen some people on Twitter complaining like, oh, I think he's maybe lacking that high-end gear, that top-end speed. I think people are probably overthinking that. Not all, One of two things. I either don't think that's the case, yeah, or I don't if think it the is the case, it's extremely minimal and you're still reaching on it. Like, I thought he looked outstanding. Not to mention the, the, the touchdown that got called gonna, back yeah, on the phantom hold by Traylon Burks. That was not a hold at all. Right. And shout out to Lomas, who, uh, who are a friend of the pod, Will Lomas, who tweeted uh, about, I think you caught Mike Vrabel on the replay telling the refs he was going to show them the whole. So he's going to show that holding call to the competition committee because he's so confident that that is not a hold and that the yeah. rest are going to be instructed to not call that. If you haven't seen that tweet, make sure you head over to Lomas's page and check that out. I thought, thought that was a really cool catch. 
It was not a hold. I mean, on replay, it was so obvious it wasn't a hold. And that was a classic Derrick Henry touchdown run, right? Where he that breaks was his the best. tackle or two. He reverses field in yeah. space. Like, it's such a shame that one didn't count. That was his best run of the season. And, yeah, it doesn't count. I mean, it counts for a gain because the holding was so far downfield. But bouncing through tacklers and, and then getting outside to get the edge, like, such a great run. And he, we haven't seen him, like, shaking tacklers as much, I think, this year or even last year as we had, you know, like the 2018 season. And then of course, when he ran for 2000 yards um, in 2020, like he was shaking tacklers. I felt like regularly his missed tackle, his forced missed tackle rate has gone down almost every year of his career since he became the starter in 2018. So nice to see him able to just like run through guys, stay on his feet, keep his balance and get to the end zone. Even if it didn't, didn't count for a touchdown, still a really nice run. And honestly, like that drive, which the Titans ended up scoring on anyway, without the, those plays, they don't, hold on to win this game. Most likely. I mean, maybe they go down and get a field goal when it's like 17, 17, but that last score on that drive was, was critical to holding off the Colts comeback attempt. And one thing I want to add on the Derrick Henry discussion before we move on to something else, I think it was, uh, you know, our, our buddy, Mike Herndon tweeted it. It's obviously something we've all, you know, also noticed and been conscious of, but first time Derrick Henry uh, back-to-back at least five targets in the passing game in his career, back-to-back games with at least five targets. We've complained a lot about this offense. We've, we, we spent a little bit of time at the beginning of this episode talking about second half, talking about adjustments, getting Derrick Henry more involved in the passing game. These previous two weeks has been an excellent idea. And it, it, it's clearly an adjustment that they've made, right? It's, it's not the coincidence. I think, you know, the offense was really bad those first two weeks against the Giants. Week two against the Bills, it was obviously a disaster. Not that it's been incredible in weeks three and four, because obviously you're, we talked about the second half. You're still seeing some growing pains there. I think they scored 24 points in back-to-back weeks. You'd like to see that creep up to 27 or 30-plus. So not that it's been incredible, but it does feel like there's been a conscious adjustment made here where they identified some areas they're struggling in, said, what are some things we can do differently? And they came up with a, say, a solution to get Derrick Henry more involved in the passing game. And I know he had some issues in, the, in this game against the Colts with the drops and, and showing some suspect hands. But I do think it's been such a big wrinkle to add to the offense. They're better because of it. They've had a lot of success doing it. And that's something I expect to see them continue doing throughout the rest of the season. I totally agree. And while we're on the passing game, let's talk about Traylon Burks because he had a couple nice catch and run plays. He he looked pretty good on the two cat I'm only 14 yards, but he looked like a good receiver. And then he has the play where in the second half, he catches a pass, gets tackled a little awkwardly, gets up immediately limping, limps to the huddle, stays in the game for some bizarre reason. And then literally hops on one leg on his route the next play, like just hopping down the field completely like not in, not a, just like playing 10 on 11. The Titans offense was and Tannehill tried to scramble for a first down and took a big hit uh, short of the sticks. Traylon Burks, ha- it has been diagnosed as a turf toe issue. He will not need surgery, which is good news for the Titans, but he will be out for uh, this game against the commanders. And then the Titans have their bye. Is this a two-week injury? Is this a, a month-long injury? Is this a two-month-long injury? All that is TBD. Obviously, the Titans never really share uh, injury updates, but that's a pretty big loss for a team that is still struggling to find playmakers, especially in the passing game. Right now, Derrick Henry is this team's like only reliable playmaker, and Robert Woods scored a touchdown, and he's a good player. And when your quarterback only throws 21 passes, you're, no receiver is going to usually have 
big numbers, but Robert Woods in this game, four catches for 30 yards, leads the Titans uh, in receptions. Chica Quanco leads in receiving yards, and Derrick Henry right behind him, 33. Chica Quanco, 38. I mean, the, the Titans' top three receivers in this game were a tight end, a running back, and Robert Woods, and then Dontrell Hilliard, and then Traylon Burks, and then Austin Hooper. That's it for for the pass catchers. Austin Hooper, one catch for four yards. Traylon Burks, two catches for 14 yards. This team is looking to find playmakers in the passing game, and to have Traylon Burks not be available for the next who knows how long is a pretty big loss, I think, for this team. It is a big loss, and they're going to have to get creative. You know, I'll be honest with you. If you watched Mike Vrabel's presser on Monday, um, he indicated they're not going to be making a move at the position that they'll just lean on what they have in-house. So what does that look like, right? I mean, it probably, against the commanders at least coming up here, it probably looks like Robert Woods and, and Nick Westbrook-Akine on the boundary um, with Kyle Phillips in the slot. Now, Phillips was a non-factor in this game. I think he played two offensive snaps. It's pretty clear that shoulder is still bothering him. He wasn't returning punts. We may never see him return punts again right after the two muffs, but he was essentially non-involved. So with Burks out, you're really going to need him to get healthy ASAP, I, ideally this week against Washington, right? Because again, you're probably looking at Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook on the boundary, uh, Kyle Phillips in the slot. You know, you could move... Uh, Westbrook to the slot on occasion, but then what does that mean, right? Then you probably have Cody Hollister, Cody Hollister on the boundary. Who played and, a lot uh, in this game. <laughs> I would think Josh Gordon is probably going to be the one to come up to the roster to replace Burks. Now, they haven't placed him on IR, IR yet, so what that either means is you're elevating Gordon from the practice squad to the active roster, the game day roster, that is, again. But that would be Gordon's third elevation, I believe. And after three, you then have to promote them to the 53-man roster. So they've got a bit of a decision to make here. Of course, they could place Burks on IR. They could always place someone else on IR. And that, that's not to say you can just do that, obviously, but someone's always dinged up. Like it doesn't have to be trailing Burks to go on IR and it doesn't have to be receiver for receiver, like for like replacement, right? So they could find a way to get Gordon on this 53 without putting Burks on IR. But it will be interesting to see how this plays out because Gordon hasn't had many opportunities. We know Cody Hollister isn't the most dynamic guy um, on the boundary. So I, I think you're really counting on Nick Westbrook and Kyle Phillips to start making more plays than they have. And of course, in Phillips case, as I mentioned that, that has to do with health more than anything. But uh, when I talk about getting creative, that's not what I meant because those are not the only guys you're going to lean on, right? You're going to look to Chigo Quanquo to kind of replicate the performance he just had. Hopefully, you know, can give you 30, 40 receiving yards per game. You're going to look at getting Austin Hooper more involved. He's essentially been a non-factor. Uh, Dontre Hilliard, we've seen some of the damage he can do, right? With two touchdowns in, in week one against the Giants. These guys are going to also have to step up and help the receivers make plays in the passing game. We talked about Derrick Henry and how involved he's been. Of course, you can expect that to continue. I'm not even going to really mention Rob. Robert Woods, because we know he's your number one receiver and you should continue getting him involved, right? So you have air quotes, number one receiver <laughs> and, and, and fans won't like hearing it, but it also probably includes Jeff Swain, right? Again, I, I Swain played a ton of snaps in this game um, as a run blocker, and he's certainly going to get some opportunities, especially I think in the red zone near the goal line and play action. So um, it really has to be, uh, you know, kind of replacing uh, Burks by committee here. Yeah, all very well said. And as we wrap up this conversation on the offense, before we flip over to the defensive side, let's hit our beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville, the best spot in the city to get burgers, brats, beers. And this week's beef of the week is going to be Todd Downing 
versus Tim Kelly. Now, I don't know that Todd Downing and Tim Kelly have any beef. They probably don't have beef at all. They probably work probably really get well along, together. Probably go to the pharmacy together for burgers. <laughs> I'm sure they do, and they should. But I think there's a lot of beef amongst the fan base here that is getting on my nerves for, because it's just so not like how football or teams it's operate. It's like not how it works here, where people seem to be under the impression that the good plays, the scripted plays at the beginning of the game, that's all Tim Kelly. And the second half curdling offense, that must be all Todd Downing. And I think that that's just kind of like projecting what fans think of these two coaches, preconceived notions, not actually the fact like they work together to script the first 15 plays. Todd Downing, I'm sure, is very involved in that process. It's not like they're like, hey, Tim, you go script the uh, the opening game script and then we'll let Todd call it from there. By the way, if that was the case. Todd Downing scored on the second possession that the Titans had. They got a field goal on their third possession and they got another touchdown before the half ended. So 24 points in the first half. If you're saying, well, Tim Kelly scripted the first drive, but then I guess Tim Kelly was calling plays for the whole first half. And then Todd Downing took over in the second. Like, I don't get where this is coming from. I understand that fans are frustrated with the second half offense and that last year, nobody really liked the job that Todd Downing did. He wasn't great his one year with the Raiders. So I understand why there's reservations. Tim Kelly has done great work as an offensive coordinator in Houston, developing a young Deshaun Watson before we knew about all of his off field um, deviance. So I think that this is just a, a case of fans kind of projecting their emotions onto the, onto the coaches. And that's why it makes our beef of the week because I have beef with the fact that there's beef about Todd Downing and Tim Kelly, not getting along or not working together or whatever the heck the, the whatever you take it away. I, I fully agree, right? That's the beef of the week <laughs> sponsored by the pharmacy. I feel like we're one week away, one week away from a fan saying, oh, I bet Todd Downing called that uh, first and 10 run that got stuffed. And then Tim Kelly called the 13-yard passing play on set. Right. Like, we are one week away from all of a sudden Todd Downing and Tim Kelly alternating play calls. And Todd Downing calls all the bad ones, and Tim Kelly calls all the good ones. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. It's it, a rightful inclusion to this week's beef of the week. All right. That wraps up beef of the week presented by the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden. Let's talk about the defense because the Titans defense in this game, I thought was outstanding. Yes. They gave up 17 points, which is not a lot of points, by the way. I don't think we should like, that's not all. That's a good defensive performance. That's a good thing. I don't know why you said, yes, they gave up 17. Well, I feel like, there was some frustration with the way the second half unfolded with the Colts going down and scoring on multiple times in a row. And it's like, okay, here we go again. Giants game all over again. The Colts are going to come down and win this game, but overall, and there was a lot of the Colts shooting themselves in the foot. Matt Ryan has had trouble holding onto the football. He threw an interception in this game. Tier Tart. What a game from Tier Tart. Two pass deflections, including one that he was able to tip to himself and bring down. Like that was such an incredible play. Um, but overall, I felt like the defensive front was getting a lot of pressure against what is admittedly a bad Colts offensive line. Danico Autry with two sacks. Rashad Weaver uh, touched Matt Ryan, so he gets a sack, credited for a sack. He's up to four sacks on the season now. Hey, we called this early on. Couldn't Rashad Weaver have double-digit sacks? Well, he's got six to go, and he's got 13 games to do it. I think this is a virtual lock for Rashad Weaver to hit double-digit sacks. He's one away from being halfway there. It's pretty yeah. incredible, right? Um, there are some things I want to say about the defense. 
I, I do think they gave up some things defensively and you were certainly frustrated with them in moments and third down conversions at, at times have been an issue third and long being able to move the ball. Um, but it was really, a, it was a stellar performance ultimately, right? They held them to 17 points. They forced three turnovers, right? Like if you do those two things every single week, even with this Titans offense that, you know, has been bad in the second half is only scoring about 20, 21 points per game. You're going to win most games, right? They go into this game, without what, in my opinion, is about five starters defensively. Right? Well, let's like talk about the guys who played significant snaps. Dylan Cole, Joe Schobert. I don't even know who Adams is. This guy that, like, Buck Rising tweeted, expect to see a lot of Andrew Adams going into this week. It's like, who's Andrew Adams? Um, <laughs> Joshua Kalu, Terrence Mitchell, Mario Edwards Jr., who are you? Like, uh, I have facts on all of them that I'm going <laughs> to spew real quick. So. Do it. Again, Titans defense essentially without five starters, right? Like, okay, Harold Landry's not coming back. We know that. But then, you're, you know, you're missing Amani Hooker and Zach Cunningham in this game. Those are, you know, fairly big losses. Elijah Molden, I'm including in that. I think he's their starting nickel. Most teams, you know, play nickel nowadays. And I, so I, I do think Molden's a starter. And then I'm counting Bud Dupree, right? Because he barely played in this game. He's been in and out of the lineup all year. That's a big loss, right? So missing five starters. Dylan Cole, right, essentially starts in place of uh, Zach Cunningham, 38 total defensive snaps. That accounted for 58% of Tennessee's overall defensive snaps. He was amazing in the run game, routinely in the backfield, caused havoc, was deconstructing blocks, led the team with eight tackles, right? Dylan Cole, believe it or not, was a big reason why they held Jonathan Taylor to 42 yards on 20 carries. That's 2.1 yards per carry for Jonathan Taylor. Dylan Cole was terrific. You quickly mentioned Joe Schobert, excuse me. I'm going to get to him as well. A lot of playing times. I don't want to say splitting time with Cole, but he did replace him um, on occasion. He ended up playing 24 defensive snaps. That's 36%. He forced a critical fumble, yeah. right? That was the pivotal third and two for the Colts. That was in the second half, right? Yep. They were still mounting their comeback. It was dangerous territory for the Titans. That was a huge forced fumble. Oh, yeah. By Joe Schobert that Christian Fulton recovered, right? Gave the Titans back possession. Schobert had a 94.1 grade from pro football focus in this game. Unreal. I know PFF isn't the end all be all. And I know he only played 24 defensive snaps, but 94.1. That's a hell of a grade. He was terrific. You asked who Andrew, Andrew Adams is, excuse me, 45 snaps. That's 68%. In place of the injured hooker, they signed him off Pittsburgh Steelers practice squad on September 21st. Like this is a guy that came in. He's a veteran, 35 career starts under his belt. But you have to give him uh, pressure. Um, sorry, you have to give him credit for being able to step into uh, uh, this starting role flawlessly. He just got there. And yeah. they preferred him over Joshua Kalu, over Lonnie Johnson. And yes, Kalu played 32 defensive snaps, by the way. Terrific for him. That's 48% of, of the team snaps. So Kalu was involved. And last but not least, Mario Edwards. You asked who he is. 34 defensive snaps. That accounted for 52%. He was That's on crazy. The more often than he was on the sideline. <laughs> I liked when they signed him just a few weeks ago. A versatile guy can play both inside and outside. And as they lost Bud Dupree, they had to move some things around. They counted on Mario Edwards and he delivered. Unbelievable performance. I think that's great coaching. We saw it last year when the Titans played 91 players, a, a league record that Mike Grable just gets the next man up ready. It's very Patriot-like that it's like they just expect the next guy up to be able to come in and do the job. And you mentioned the uh, efforts shutting down Jonathan Taylor and forcing him to fumble. 
that was my biggest concern uh, analyzing this game coming into it was the Titans have been giving up. They were leading the league in terms of most yards per carry allowed coming into this game. And they shut down one of the best running backs in the league. Granted, the Colts offensive line has been terrible. One thing that was frustrating watching this game was it felt like Mo Alley Cox scored his t- two touchdowns on the same play. And it was like after the first time when he is leaking across <laughs> the field into the opposite flat and nobody's there to go to cover him that they maybe should like look for him and try to like figure out that the Colts are going to continue to run these crossers and they continue to, to hammer the Titans with these crossing patterns. And they just kept being open and eventually pressure got to Matt Ryan or other things finally happened, but it was, uh, it was a struggle to, to stop those plays. Um, so I think that that will do it, right? Anything else you want to add about this game before we get out of here? No, I think that does it. I'll quickly add about the run defense. It felt like Tennessee's run defense, right? It felt like that's what they should be. Because I'll be honest, I was fairly confused these first couple of weeks of why they were having such a hard time stopping the run. I know Harold Landry is a big loss in that area. He's such a great uh, edge setter, but it does feel like this run defense should still be a really good unit. You know, guys like Jeffrey Simmons, guys like Bud Dupree, they got safeties that can come up and tackle. They've got inside linebackers that can tackle and stop the run. So this should be a good run unit. And hopefully the pendulum started swinging against the Colts and they'll continue getting back on track, stopping the run. I think that essentially does it for this episode. Um, Guys, you're going to want to tune in. Later this week, Thursday's episode, we have an absolute loaded episode, a super surprise special guest. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that I'm risking it because, you know, scheduling quirks happen, scheduling quirks happen. Perhaps it won't happen, but I'm going to go on a limb and say we have an excellent guest for Thursday's episode. We also will be previewing the Washington Commanders um, with Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. My colleague at the Draft Network used to work for the team. He's plugged into everything Washington. He's going to make a great guest to preview that game. And it'll be, it'll be one of the first times we've got two guests on one episode because Ryan's not the special surprise guest. As much as I love Ryan, you're going to love him. We've got Ryan on, and then we've got another surprise special guest. Make sure you tune in to Thursday's episode, previewing the Washington Commanders. Yep, that is right. We are excited for Thursday's episode, so come back for that. And that's it for this episode. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. And be sure you check out BroadwaySportsMedia.com, the Broadway Insider Pass. Justin, tell us a little bit more about what that is. Yeah, become a Broadway Insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You could use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99 or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts, uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F-Words Pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it. Yes, and of course, all the podcasts that Broadway has to offer. Okay, that'll do it for us. We'll be back later this week. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.